Hi, I'm Matt Harrison. Matt Harrison. Hi, I'm Matt Harrison. Matt, Matt, Matt Harrison. President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President. President. President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And you're listening to Clerical Errors Podcast. Recorded live at Tox and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, I'm Bull Hagen. And I'm Vicar. That's all we have? Yeah. Vicar, uh, Vicar's here, obviously. Um, Berg uh, couldn't make it today, and also Peter is in the process of moving. So he just got to the Kansas area, Kansas City area last night, and so he will be busy getting that set up. So not only am I doing this with Vicar, just the two of us, then I have to be the producer, so the editor. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. It'll work out. I think out. Peter's a little nervous. He said, I got it this time. Don't worry about it, Pete. We got this. I've got a beverage here, one of my uh, sparkling waters. You got something you were sipping on there, Vicar? Yeah, I got some cola or soda or something. What, what's Maybe your cola of choice? Whatever's cheapest, usually. So uh, is that like a Sam's Club or is it? I think it's the knockoff High V brand, but... Oh, yes. It works. Maybe sometime we can uh, have a cola showdown where we can take all the colas. Yeah, we're going to, we'd have to do that pretty soon, wouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, um, uh, what are, what am I preaching on, Vicar? Uh, hopefully I found the right text. It should be Matthew 7, 15 to 23. That sounds correct. Good. Uh, why don't you, uh, uh, why don't you go ahead and re- go ahead and read that? Yeah. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Oh, let's stop there. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna do this. But I'll just kind of stop as you go. Sure. So first of all, it says uh, beware of false prophets. Um, you know, prophet is someone who who gives you the word of God, and and uh, Jesus will will also kind of bear that out a little bit later. Um, but, uh, one thing it's, it mentions is sheep's clothing in, uh, inwardly are ravenous wolves. Why would Vicar, a, a, uh, wolf put on sheep, sheep's clothing? Well, the idea would be camouflage. You're going to be able to sneak up on the sheep, maybe steal one. Yeah. Which, you... which means I'm having flashbacks to some Looney Tunes at the moment. Yeah. It's, it, it's, they want to get as close yeah. To the sheep as possible, and they don't want to be viewed in any way as a perceived threat. Yeah. They want to they want to uh, go unnoticed. Hey, I'm safe. We're all okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. It's deception. Which happens, I mean, that's the biggest one, right? Yeah. You can trust us. Hey, we're all right. Yeah. You know, we, we use the name of Jesus, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, 16, go ahead there, Vicar. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. All right, we'll stop there. So as we look at this passage, uh, it, it makes a connection then of fruit and how false teachers, false prophets, uh, I guess you could word false pastors. Yeah. Right? Uh, they, they wind up uh, not bearing good fruit, but bad fruit. One thing that uh, is very simple to understand is uh, false teaching is dangerous. One thing interesting about this is 
I really don't think in a modern context, um, when we view, think of false prophets, false prophets don't always recognize the fact that they are false prophets. I don't know. I think some of them might know that they're lying, but they're getting a lot of money for it. So it's easy to keep doing it. Okay. What about, um, uh, well, there are a lot of uh, false prophets that really are very sincere. Yeah. They think that they're doing what's good and right. Yeah, they've, they've, they think that they've studied the word correctly. They think they understand it. But for whatever reason, they miss something. Another interesting thing about this passage is how, how the sheep are kind of asked to recognize who it is among them yeah. that teaches false. So in other words, uh, you know, no leniency is given necessarily if you are led away by a false prophet because the whole idea of beware of them means they do exist and you should watch out. Yeah. Listen, pay attention to the fruit that they're giving. For example, uh, um, if, if your church teaches you to kind of wander away from the Ten Commandments, if it teaches a love that says, oh, we love a little differently, the Ten Commandments are kind of archaic. Right. What kind of fruit does that provide? Yeah, that's not a good sign. Another way, too, is is it pointed to Christ and what he came to do? Does it... Does it uh, does the fruit uh, bore out of what Jesus gave us to use? For example, the command to baptize or the Lord's Supper, we do this often in remembrance of me. Is it focused on the forgiveness of sins? Um, all those things, you can judge the fruit. And from that fruit, yes, does it affect how we live? Yeah. Certainly. But the, but the, it is a strong recognition that as a listener, you should be aware of, of what you're being hearing. Is it God's word or not? Is this what Jesus gave to teach or not? Um, and uh, that's what, uh, by the way, behind the collar, every pastor tries to do. Yeah. A pastor realizes he's not going to be at his congregation forever, and uh, and it, it's up to the congregation also, as, a, as uh, the people who extended a call to a pastor, uh, to ensure that the pastor is giving them the word of God. This is why you learn, that, for example, um, the catechism. This is why the members should know the catechism, so that they can ensure, one, that they know those truths, and two, they can protect themselves and their families from anyone who would diverge from those teachings. And so that's why it's so important, because, you know, when Jesus says, beware of false prophets, you know, he's talking about, you know, teachers preachers who look like they're a member of the flock but aren't right and they might come in ways that are sincere but are not um, one of my stupid sayings i always say is temptation is by nature tempting and that's all a part of this too a lot of false teaching and a lot of false prophets they do ap um, appeal to ways that sound good that sound right that sound helpful that uh, sound loving uh, that come in a very sincere, and what makes it tempting is there's an appeal there. These false teachers teach something that is appealing. One thing I hear a lot out here at uh, in Iowa is this, is that when people uh, talk about, uh, you know, they might go to a church that uh, teaches a different doctrine, but they'll say, well, you know, he gave a good sermon, or she gave a good sermon, well, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, is, that, is, that, is that the fruit? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was pleasant to listen to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how we judge quality as a human versus how we should judge quality as a Christian are different. Mm-hmm. Like, if we just look at, you know, the average pastor, you know, Lutheran pastor superficially most people probably wouldn't label them as successful and therefore as someone who should be listened to as an authority. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these people that fall under the false teacher category, 
oh, they're very successful. Some of them are multimillionaires, so they must be right. Mm -hmm. At least that's how the thinking goes. Although a lot of times, I think when you're dealing with pastors, if a pastor becomes a multimillionaire from being a pastor, I think general people would be suspicious. They should. They should. You know, if I, if I pull up in a Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to wonder what happened. So. Um, Especially because I don't think there's a dealership anywhere nearby. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's probably, if I did, it probably means I probably got some sort of a pre-workout sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a substantial sponsorship for, for that, yeah. So behind the collar moment then too when you put this all together because I realize that a lot of times false teachers don't realize that yeah. they're false teaching. Yeah. A lot of false teachers sound very sincere and probably feel very sincere. This this is something that uh, actually pastors think about. You know? Yeah. Kind of like uh, when Jesus said... Uh, um, one of you will betray me. And what was everyone's response? Yeah, everyone was like, oh, is it is it going to be me? Is it me? <laughs> right. And so when, when Jesus talks about there are false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing, Yeah, it, it's always then a lesson to the pastor to, to think about what he is actually preaching, to study, to to make sure that what he is teaching is what Jesus himself gave him. Yeah. And uh, inspecting the fruit. Yeah. Inspecting the fruit. So Yeah, that's self-awareness. Right, right. So it, it's uh, because a lot of false prophets, false teachers, maybe started out as a good teacher. Yeah. And then somewhere along the way, just stopped double-checking. Right. Which is why also then, on the other hand, that you, you appreciate what you are given. Um because a uh, listener who, you know, as you think about your own pastor, everyone pastor has its quirks, you know, a different way of doing things. Um, but is your, your pastor giving you what you need? Yeah. And, and to be thankful that he does. Um, so uh, let's get on to the next section then. Yeah. 21 and continuing. Uh-huh. Go ahead, Vicar. Yeah. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Well, you think that would be a good bumper sticker, Vicar? Is just to put... Uh... Just to put the on from verse twenty one, not a, not not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that'd be that'd be a better bumper sticker than most. I mean, that that really is a wake up call. Yeah, because um, in my dealings with people, I think people generally think that everyone who just uses the name Jesus, yeah, uh, or is uh, good intentioned, yeah, a kind of superficial way of being a believer. Mm-hmm. I mean, d- didn't that happen in the book Acts? There were what was it, like seven or eight young men who supposedly tried to dive out, drive out a demon in yeah. you know in the name of Jesus, who was preached by Paul. And the demon's like, "Yeah, I know those two guys. I don't know you, <laughs> imposter." But what I want to point out to is, did you notice how didn't it, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name? That is kind of a an official sense. You're doing yeah. that. This is why I think it refers to, to pastors, especially, because what do we do? We forgive sins in the name. Right. So, so in other words, we were forgiving sins in your name when we didn't have yeah. the call to yeah. do so. So wh- whoever, whoever it is that these people would be are sincere. Mm-hmm. And so the, that also is frightening you to think about it because we do yeah. a lot of things in the name of Jesus as a pastor. At least I do, and you will be. Yeah. <laughs> Does that, that scare you a little bit? I mean, I think I've been wrestling with that one for a while anyway, so... But being reminded of it, yeah, it's... Yeah. It's a, I, 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 that wasn't the description of every single you know, newly ordained pastor his first time doing communion that, that his hands are shaking. 
Yeah. It's like, it's, I believe it. I, I believe it and I'm expecting it. So yeah, because it's important. And usually about this time in summer, uh, actually, you know, um, usually about this time this summer, I get a call from uh, a former vicar, <laughs> you know, which is great. I love it. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, and, uh, saying, well, I didn't think I'd encounter that or, you know, it's, it's always different, but it, it comes at you quick. Yeah. Um, we heard that, uh, last year with, uh, with, with Baldwin, with his Western updates. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it comes at you quick, you know, I'm, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. Yeah. I'm speaking forgiveness or withholding forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah, there, in there's, the name of Jesus. Yeah, there's a reason why the, the program to train up pastors is four years long. The epistle reading we're, we're reading also kind of bears all this out from Acts chapter 20, which is uh, Paul saying goodbye to the the elders uh, at Ephesus. And uh, he basically says the same thing that Jesus says. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers for the care of the church, whom he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. It's the same kind of thing. This is yeah. So Jesus says it. We see it in Acts. So what can we expect today? More of the same. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily think of, oh, we kind of, you know, think of all the other denominations and, you know, with various ideas and, you know, oh, we're all kind of in it for the same thing. We're all, but, but are we? Yeah. Well, yeah. And are, are we teaching it all as it should? Yeah. You know, like, like you said, you know, how, how many of them are sincere about it, but just maybe something got missed or skipped or, you know, they got stuck in a rut and are just complacent now. Or kind of an, an example of this is how much it's changed just in my 20-some years as a pastor. When I first became a pastor, it, I could generally assume just 20 years ago, right? Yeah. That a uh, person who came from a Christian background was a confessing Christian. At least I could assume that they were generally properly taught the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And with, I mean... With varying agree, uh, yeah, of de- yeah. There may be some difference in detail and how to focus, but they would know it. Mm-hmm. They, they'd know the words. Yeah, at least, especially in the context of a small town. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, you know, I'm from the Baptist Church or I'm from whatever. You can kind of assume, oh, they have a working understanding of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um. Is that the case anymore? Oh no. It's, no, not at all. In the last twenty some years, that has vastly and, and pastors, I'm sure, if you, you know, graduated at the same time as I I did, you know, in the '90s, uh, you probably have seen the same thing. It's not assumption that we can make really from most other church bodies. Yeah, which plays into the communion thing, you know, and, you know. Oh, I can examine. I've examined myself. I should be able to take Lord's supper. Okay. I don't even know if you understand the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> at all, you know, because, like we talked about, you could be sincere about being sorrowful for your sins, but how, how can you if you don't know the Ten Commandments? Uh, Twelve list, yeah. Um, I think this goes right right in the line because oh, it does. Because what does uh, how how does it get get right in line? Uh. So th- this this list are misused or misunderstood verses, which if we're talking about people who are, you know, false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing, this is probably the basic way everything starts. You know, someone's reading the Bible, probably out of context, and mm-hmm. they're just misunderstanding the verse and what it means or what it's pointing to, and they get an idea and they run with it. And it's kind of hard to backtrack when you've, put a lot of effort into an idea and then mm-hmm. are told, oh yeah, you were wrong. It's like, what, how do I fix that? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, for example, if there's like a, you know, a misuse uh, of a Bible verse that's in a mission statement for an organization, 
<laughs> yeah. You know, things like that. Like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. do we fix that? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this was this was actually the Bible study topic for a while. Okay. With on Monday mornings. So these were all verses we had gone through, and there's there's substantially more than 12. Like, we could probably spend hours going through Bible verses that are misunderstood or misused. All right, so I guess, um, let me see here. I'm going to try and do this now. Uh, me, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. I think that works. I like this music, though, don't you? Yeah, it works. Yeah. Is this the kind of music you listen to uh, at home? Not too much. What do you like about this music? It goes with the topic. Okay. You know, I don't get control of the music at home. (laughs) Who controls the music at your house? That'd be my wife. Number 12. So number 12, I've got Joshua 1, verse 9. And because I prefer the other version, also Deuteronomy 31, 6. Okay. Yeah, so that would be, so Joshua 1, 9 is, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All right. I mean, that's that's bumper sticker right there. Yeah. Be strong and courageous. It's on signs everywhere. People hanging in their homes. It's on it's on uh, baseball jerseys. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Football jerseys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those you know proof texts. You know, be strong and courageous. That's what God wants us to be, right? Uh, yeah. What's the context? It's the people of Israel marching into the Promised Land, and God reminding them. I'm here to fight for you. You just got to go where I say. You know, it's it's not a pep talk speech. Right. It's a it's a be strong and courageous. It's kind of like uh because uh we use that people would use that okay, believe in yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. Yeah. Right. It's a very American sounding verse. For uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, which you do you know who he is? The name is familiar, but that's as far as I can go at the moment. <laughs> okay. Um, he he plays uh, basketball uh-huh. uh, for for a team that just won the NBA championship just two days ago. Do you know what team that is? I remember seeing it passing by somewhere on the internet, and it was like, really? I didn't even know that that was a team, and I don't remember the name. Okay. But, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a hint. The name of the town means uh, good earth. Milwaukee. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. It was Milwaukee. I didn't, I didn't even know they had a team. Okay, so do you know, know the name of the, the team? No, I don't remember the name of the team. So you don't know the name of the basketball team from Milwaukee that just won the NBA championship. So do you know who won the MVP of that? Of the, the NBA finals? No. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay. Can you say Giannis Antetokounmpo? What, Giannis Antetokounmpo? There you go. Okay. The last right. NBA game I watched was was, you know, Michael Jordan playing with Bugs Bunny. Okay. I, I know that. I know. I know. We need to get on to our yeah. top twelve list. I know, but this I know. is this is fun yeah, for it, me. I like yeah. to get derailed. You know me, right? Yeah. So, I want you to see if you can name. Uh, five is ambitious. I want you to name. Can you name four active NBA no, players? No, I can't. Not four. No. Can you name one? I mean, other than LeBron James. Okay, there's one. But mostly just because he's in the news, that's falling over all the time. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got. You know two now. Okay, I know two now. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay. Wow. That's amazing to me. I might have a better chance with with football just because I got to sit with the youth group when we when we watched the Super Bowl. Okay, can you name three football players? We got active. We got Brady. We got Mahomes, and and Dominican Sue. Yeah, and I don't know him because he was a Husker. Right. So I had no choice. There you go. See, we can do. We should hire a sports talk show sometime, Vicker. <laughs> Okay. Can you name uh, Can you name two active baseball players? No. Yeah, baseball is a little more difficult. So. Yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, I just 
I don't pay enough attention to it. That's how, how about yeah, how, how many? Can you name? Uh, you might actually, because of your wife, you actually may know this more. Do you know? Can you name more than one professional bodybuilder? No, <laughs> I don't remember any of that. No. <laughs> All right. Anyways, okay. Yeah. So that that is a misunderstanding, a misapplication often. Yeah. Because uh, it, it it would you would seem. Well, I never got to my Giannis Antetokounmpo. So he, your explanation. Yeah, he's called the Greek freak because he he uh, is about seven feet tall. Okay. About two hundred and forty pounds, and he can do things athletically that just uh, are ridiculous. Like one time, he went from one end of the basketball court to the other without traveling in three dribbles because his legs are that long. Impressive. He can take one step from the three three point line and dunk it. He, he just he, wait. He's only seven foot tall. You sure he's not like twenty foot tall? <laughs> yeah, he. That's why they call him. He's just this athletic, okay, freak of nature. He can do things at his size that. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's say uh, he decides uh, because he knows Greek very well. Yeah. Because he's from Greece. <laughs> Okay, that's why they call him the Greek freak. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah. not not because he he was really good with the koine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But he says, "Oh, I'm I'm good at Greek. I'm going to go to the seminary." Okay. And uh, I'm not. I'll play. I'll play for the Kingsman here. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so it becomes the time for the big game between the preachers and the Kingsman, the two seminaries, right? Yeah. The Kingsman would be strong and courageous heading into that game. <laughs> right based on how most people think of the verse yes but in a way that strong and courageous because yes see, and also yes not necessarily that they're yeah. the best basketball player however because they have the best basketball player with them right who who is yeah you <laughs> <laughs> have to write that down now <laughs> I almost sort of sigh uh, can I say that <laughs> That happens where it's like, can I remember it? Nope. Nope, I can't. I can't. So is that a better understanding of, in a sense, yeah. they're strong and courageous? Yeah, as, as, a, as a metaphorical example to point to how it works in context, yeah, that is much better. I, I see where we're going now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was an interesting trip. Yeah. Number 11. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. And yeah, I'm just gonna throw the whole, throw the, ch- whole just the whole chapter. The whole chapter. The whole chapter is it's it's very easy to get misunderstood. But the concept of love mm-hmm. is one that we have trouble with. And I've got verses four through six here. Uh, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So so why is this? How is this misused? I mean, the first, the first probably big problem is what we, th- when we think of love, like if I find a random person on the street and ask them what love is, they're probably going to start describing stuff that looks like a Hallmark movie. Do you know what would happen in the Bullhagen house? Huh? If, if someone says, what, what is, is love? love? Are they going to start singing? Baby, Baby don't hurt me. Good. <laughs> don't hurt me. No more. I mean, if, if I find someone randomly on the street and ask them what is love and they start singing, I'd be less upset. <laughs> than if they just misuse the text. And then they ask, oh, what's love got to do with this? I mean, w- would they would they at least do the head nod as well with the song? Yeah, probably. So so the idea of love. Yeah. Well, how is this then, how is this misused? Because if it clarifies it, because it does clarify how people might misunderstand yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. If, if they read the whole, if we use the whole chapter, the context... It's harder to misuse it, but what people tend to do is just pick one verse or just a couple verses. I actually and I actually talked a little bit about this, actually a lot about this in a sermon recently. Yeah. How when you look at that love, what how does the love? where else does the Bible teach you how to love? That's in the, that's in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, right? So, so you place this in the context. Oh yeah. Of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and especially those verses, those verses right there, the four through six. It's it goes from being, oh, it's a, it's an emotion, it's a feeling, to, oh, it's an action. Mm-hmm. And it's 
not something where I receive anything. It's I give to someone. You know, that's actually something that's actually changed in me a little bit. And how, how I understand, have understood it. Uh-huh. Because I used to preach in the sense and talk about how, how love is what you do. Right? Yeah. And there's some of it that it is. Mm-hmm. But there is the desire to love and the changing of heart yeah. that does come. And so, for example, what, when we teach forgiveness, we don't just say, you know, we also ask when you forgive someone to have a change of heart. Yeah. And so the command of love does actually have not only action, because that's how the Pharisees understood to love God. They understood, well, if I love yeah. God by doing these things, irregardless of where my heart is, I am fulfilling yeah. the law. Yeah, they, they felt they fell hard on the other side of the ditch with mm-hmm. it becoming now obedience. Just like having uh, the word, there is a song out entitled Concupiscence. Check it out sometime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which where, episode was that? Where we understand that sin isn't just the outward doing, but also includes this sinful, depraved nature that we have, the desire to sin. And so as a Christian, when you think of love, it is an action for sure, but your desire to not love is something you should be concerned about as well. Right. Number 10. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Yeah, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So how is that mis- misunderstood? Yeah, most of the time where I've seen it misused, it's almost treating it like a checklist. of These are these are your gifts, these are what you're supposed to have, and mm-hmm. almost, you know, I don't remember, you know if you remember those... You know, spiritual gifts, inventories. Oh, yes. Yeah, those those sorts of things. I was a total home run on those. <laughs> Especially the humility part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, it's not how that... Like, it's not how it's supposed to be. So Obviously, how is yeah. it supposed to be? Well, like going back to our gospel reading for, you know, for the day. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing people by their fruit... Well, what is that fruit? That's what this would be. So, if we're looking at a you know a professing Christian, what we're gonna see is these sort of characteristics. So, so, so in other words, uh, using the example of the tree, yeah, the fruit and the tree, you want to produce the, the, those fruits of the spirit. Um, you should take a look at the health of the plant, right? Number nine. John three sixteen. Hmm. So how is that misused? I'm not so sure I would say misused, but misunderstood. Okay. And, I mean, we, you know, this is the one that probably everyone knows. And so, For God so loved yeah, the world that, that he gave, he his, gave his only, only son. son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, I mean, we could probably, f- there's probably numerous unbelievers who know it, who don't know anything else. So it's almost overused without any context. Okay. You know, th- you know this is taking place during that discussion with Nicodemus about faith and baptism mm-hmm. and how God saves the world. It's like we've got this wonderful little bit of gospel, but then you got to go to the next couple of verses. About and, rejecting. Yeah. And about how there's, there is judgment God didn't just come just to send Jesus to die on the cross. And, oh, look, everyone's now saved. Because but there's so, so you're, you're yeah, getting at that people use this verse. Oh, I know this verse. Right. So um, that's all I need to know. Right. God loves me. And that's it. Yeah. The, the, I've heard it a lot of times growing up called the gospel in a nutshell. And I think without those next couple of verses, it's, it loses some of its bite. Number eight. First uh, Peter 2, 9 to 10, which is another probably really well heard one. Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And I think the part that gets 
kind of goofed up is that chosen people and royal priesthood part. And that idea of, oh, everyone's able to be a preacher. Some of us are called for it, and some of us are called for other tasks. Mm-hmm. And then the other issue of, you know, that royal, na- that holy nation. Who, who's the holy nation? There's some denominations that would say it's still Israel. Or, or there are some who say the, the and the boy, is that bubble getting burst quickly, that that, oh, yeah. that, that royal nation is the United States of America. Yeah. America. Yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gotten to talk with some people who, who do honestly, th- you know, think that the covenant God made at Sinai is still specifically for the nation state of Israel that was founded after 1948. It's like, uh, no. And that's, and, and, you know, I've even had a few try to reference, you know, this verse is like, no, this verse is about the church. Number seven. Okay. Well, I got Ephesians two verse 10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay. How's that misunderstood? It's really easy for the human mind to want to latch onto works. Because, mm-hmm. you know, thinking the Ten Commandments, here's God's list of what is right and wrong. And if I do this, then I'm saved. Like, that's that's where the logic leads. If we're, if we're going back to the idea of the Ten Commandments and love, you know, God has made us, you know, created us and put, put us here to do work. And that would be loving God, loving our neighbor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's not for earning us, it's for service. You know, as you know, Paul talks about it all the time, that we are his servants. Number six. Yeah, uh, we're still in Ephesians 1, verse mm-hmm. 5. So, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. All right, so how is that misunderstood? So predestination being that God has chosen us, believers, and knew who we would be. Mm-hmm. So obviously that means he also chose the people he wasn't going to save, right? No. No. There, there's nothing at all in Scripture that says that. And that would imply then... Because God desires all men, all to be saved. Yeah. Yeah, to, to, to say that there's the other side of it would then, you know, assign a malicious you know, attitude to God that does not exist. Like there is justice, certainly, he and he will punish those who refuse to believe. Right, you, and you find this a lot of, uh, especially some, some hardcore uh, reformed. Yeah, where they'll get really upset at singing "Jesus loves you" because you don't actually know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where whereas the use of the word here, you know, Paul's using it to encourage the guys he's writing to that. Nope, God chose you. He knew exactly who you'd be. Number five. Ephesians 5, 22 to 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. All right, so how do people misunderstand that? Uh, that second word there, submit. That's, that's the one that people get hung up with. They don't like that word. Okay. I'll admit, though, I actually had a lot of fun with this when we were going through the study because this verse got picked out, but we also went through Ephesians and I was digging in mm-hmm. the word in, in its, in the original Greek, it would kind of just mean to place under, to be in submission mm-hmm. the same way that a soldier is under the authority of his commanding officer. It's not a slavery word necessarily. And especially not in this context. Oh. So it's not slave. It just means that uh, you're supposed to give your wife her marching orders. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> you're trying to get me in trouble. Like a soldier and a commander. That, that's, that's an, yeah. <laughs> I heard can't, a you can't, again. yeah, you can't, oh, <laughs> you can't overpush the metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I, know, no, I know, I know, I know. That, but that's, and that's why people get so, so frustrated because it's like we start looking at one view of it. It's like, oh, yeah. That's not a great way to look at that. It's like, but if we look at what God created with marriage, how he established husband and wife, and what that relationship looks like, especially in the context of this example, it's not, you know, master-servant relationship. 
because how is the husband described? Like Christ. And what did Christ do? He died for his bride. So the way this is un- misunderstood is when you take it out of its context. Yeah. The concept of wives submitting to your husband can certainly fall apart if the husband is also not listening yeah. to the other part of this chapter where it says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right. That's where, because I think people stumble on the fact, oh, the wives submit to their husband. Well, um, yeah, there's still the other half of that equation. Right. That doesn't mean husbands get to be a jerk and then a, a woman. No. Yeah, no. Which is, by the way, which is a, the whole, one of the things that our own society is dealing with is the idea of, and this actually has some roots, has some roots in the church. Yeah. Where everything is described by power. Uh, critical race theory is about who holds the power and who has, everyone has, someone has power over someone else. And there's yeah. non-racism that you can't really describe. And, but it has all these underpinnings. And uh, when people hear this passage, because they're hearing it from this kind of a frame of mind about what are my rights, who holds the power, who's the greedy one, when this is saying, really, this is about love. What is love? This is about waking up in the morning and be more concerned about your spouse than yourself. And if, if only one is doing it, it's not going to work very well. Yeah. So when you... you kind of strip this away, which is part of the problem with all the things that we're seeing is, uh, and, the, and the reason why I say that you, you've see, seen this in the church in a long time, for example, women's ordination, you know, it's my right. It is the, you know, when you say women can't be pastors in your church body, you, the men are holding on to what their power, power. The assumption. Yeah. 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 They're, you're doing this so that you can keep all your women in tow. It's all about power and authority and who's doing what and yeah. who's controlling who. When the way the Bible describes it, it's about who's the servant. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that whole section, that, you know, that whole chapter, it's just great imagery. And like I said, I, like, I had a lot of fun actually with that Greek word. I chased it around the, the dictionary for a while because it like literally it's, it's a compound word. It's literally stand under which as a marriage imagery is a spectacular one, mm-hmm. especially if we're looking at it in the context of the husband's to act as Christ and he's protecting his wife, which would mean that she would be accepting that gift. And it actually works well and since my wife is a full foot shorter than I am. <laughs> Probably makes it easier with the umbrella, right? <laughs> Stand, Yes, yeah, she stands under. <laughs> Number four. Acts 8, 3 to th- 36 to 37. Yeah. So uh, to give a little bit of context where I read it, this is uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. All right. Uh, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So what, how do you think uh, people misunderstand oh, yeah. and misinterpret I've, that? This, one, this one's always been fun. One of the, usually the rule should be you don't get involved in arguments online. But when it's a baptism one, it's hard for me to resist because <laughs> it matters so much. And this is almost always the one that people like to point to as, see, this is why it's believer's baptism, not infant baptism. Because look, he chose to be baptized, which one, completely misses the context, and two, forgets that Acts is a book of history, as opposed to this is what we do. Because, you know, the eunuch here, he's reading Isaiah mm-hmm. when Philip shows up, and he asks Philip to explain because he doesn't understand what he's reading. Mm-hmm. And Philip teaches him, and at some point, he's come to faith. Mm-hmm. And as a believer who trusts God's word and loves it mm-hmm. and desires to be part of this, he's like, what's stopping this? You know, This is a guy who understands what baptism really means right? and desires it, which is the exact opposite of the argument that the people who would profess believer's baptism really probably teach. Number three. 1 Peter 3.21. Fire away? Yeah, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So how is that misunderstood? Well, people people like to look at the previous one as this is what we do. This one, they just say it's a metaphor. Because Peter here is talking about baptism being this being similar to, you know, corresponding to Noah's Ark and the flood, which is why we've got Luther's flood mm-hmm. prayer in baptism, which is just a wonderful prayer. So they, they, they have trouble saying... Yeah, they, they, they get hung up on the you know, appeal for a good conscience. So it's a work, it's an ordinance, it's a, you know, it's showing, you know, it's the outward sign of inward change is the usual phrase that they'll, they'll quote. Number two. Yeah. Uh, Philippians 4.13. Enlighten yeah. us, Vicar. Uh, this was my confirmation verse, so I can say I misused it even. <laughs> yeah. Confession time. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't fully understand the context. But yeah, the, the verse is nice and simple and short. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, kind of kind of like going back back earlier. So you, you know. could be the next Giannis Antetokounmpo. Nope. You could be the Nebraskan freak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite tall enough for that. I've got brothers who are taller that could maybe do that. You know, I, I actually went was going through when I was translating it and the wording that I got... That, that I worked with, it was, you know, I prevail in all, in all things in the one who is empowering me. Okay. Which sounds a little more clunky than most of the translations we hear. But the way those words were working, you know, being able to do all things. You know, this is Paul sitting in prison writing this. <laughs> yeah, he's going through a time of suffering. Yeah, this, this, was, this was not great victory for him. And, mm-hmm. he's, and this is what he's writing. You know, that he's he's able to endure everything because of the one who's doing the work. It's interesting from our last episode because Philippians was was a passage that uh, yeah that Jace was was working with. Yeah, and there's yeah, it's it's spectacular. But like I said, with the whole you know who's doing the work, you know who's doing the verb mm-hmm. here, and it's it's God. And number one, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. How is that misunderstood? Oh, that's this is this is Hallmark gift card territory. This is, you know, you know what all over Instagram and posted on walls and everything. You know, for I know the plans I have for you. Yeah, yeah. The first three rules of reading the Bible is mm-hmm. uh, context, context, context. So what is the context of this, yeah. Vicar? Jeremiah 29 is a letter written at God's request by Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon. All right. Telling them that, yes, God has sent the Babylonians to conquer them and cart them off into exile. And while they're there, they're to build houses, have businesses, plant gardens, raise families, because he has a plan for them and will return them. So it's not just a nebulous. No, I mean God has a plan for you, though. Oh, He does. Yeah, and and this was written and recorded as great encouragement for all of us who believe, mm-hmm. and as an example, because look here, God cared for His people even through their exile. So your your biggest issue of of people how people mis- misunderstanding it is maybe misapplying certain situations. Yes. Like so, this is the biblical verse that basically that says, "Oh, it was a, a God thing." Yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing to look at this and say, okay, God God cared for them and had mm-hmm. a plan for them. I'll trust he has a plan for me as well. That's That would be a right way to look at it. Saying, oh, this is proof that God has a specific plan for me because this verse was written for me. It's like, no. Mm-hmm. Th- this verse was written for, you know, all of, you know, guys like Ezra and Nehemiah who were off in exile. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and, I guess, especially if people feel like, you know, like uh, the inner call thing is God is leading me yeah, to do certain things. I can feel that he has this plan for me. Right. You know, usually that's projection of what I want to do that I'm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, not that, you know, not that God doesn't use your abilities and your desires to, to lead you whatever, for example, vocation yeah. Yeah. that you go into. Yeah. But to say in specifics, I know God is leading me to do this. Are you sure? <laughs> you know, not that I want to dissuade people from doing what they 
what is good and right and those type of things. But but to, to kind of look at particular instances and yeah. say, okay, that kind of validates whatever because. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the whole idea of the, the plans he has, mm-hmm. you know, Paul, St. Paul talks about that later on, you know, that all things work together for good. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the, what are the, what's the good? What are the plans? Well, that'd be Jesus dying on the cross. Yeah, because none of these, like that wouldn't, people would look at the martyrs, you know, if you put a picture of a painting of a martyr yeah. with how people would understand this, well, I have a plan. Yeah, you're going to be right. alive in Christ forever. Right. Right. That's the plan. Yeah, there's, there, there's some, there's, what is, is it, it's like a little video clip where it's, you know, pictures of the martyrs and they're reading Joel Osteen tweets. Yeah. It's just, it's like yeah. that's. That that's how this gets used, which is, which it's not. It's it's this great example of, of God's providence and salvation in a specific time and place, mm-hmm. and we know that He will do so even more so, throughout all of history and especially, at the cross. There you go. That's a good way to end. Okay. Thank you for listening. We'll hopefully we get Berg back here soon, and uh, maybe we can get one in before you leave. Yeah. Because uh, you got, a, what, a week left? Yeah, a week. So. Yeah, if we don't get another one, there's going to be a bit of a gap. Thanks for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And may your, and may your Bible verses be properly understood. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time. And I think you forgot your stylophone. It sure is fun, though.